Aloha. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are one day away from the 2020 NBA Draft. Today, I'm joined by Sports Illustrated's Jeremy Wu. He just released on Monday his latest mock draft. It's trade season. Tons of stuff starting to happen around the league. Still lots of rumors floating around the NBA draft. Jeremy and I are going to kind of walk you through what we're hearing, talk about the major teams in the draft today, also some other big trades that have happened on Sunday and Monday as well. Jeremy, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, definitely an interesting time to uh, kind of go through this stuff. Uh, and like you you told me before we hopped on, again, this can change at any minute. Like we could, something could happen while we're on the air here. So <laughs> we'll, we'll hopefully we get through this without uh, any major changes. We'll be monitoring for Sham's uh, updates while we're recording this podcast, uh, which is on which is on Monday afternoon uh, now. And who knows, maybe we'll have to record an update or two along the way. Let's start with, you know, the biggest news on Monday, which is Chris Paul makes his way to Phoenix, but it doesn't include a draft pick. Phoenix is going to keep the number 10 pick in the draft as part of this deal. But it certainly does start to raise questions about maybe now what direction Phoenix may go um, with the number 10 pick. How do you feel about Chris Paul, this deal, and then what Phoenix is going to do at 10? I think it makes a good amount of sense um, for, for both sides, really. Like, you have to figure, you know, I know there are other teams that were interested uh, in in Paul, but uh, I think Oklahoma City, you know, that future pick, I think, has to be the main carrot for them. Uh, and if you look at, you know, the protections that were reported, um, it, it's relatively light. Like it's a real first, you know, it's lottery protected rolling starting in 22. Uh, but you have to think, you know, the Thunder are a team in particular, uh, you know, they've loaded up on these future picks, but also they've, you know, committed to, uh, you know, knowing as much as they can about these high school guys. You know, they're one of the teams I, I think that is probably way ahead of the game in terms of already having the, you know, information uh, and, and I probably have a better sense of who is coming uh, than, you know, up the pipeline than a lot of teams do. Uh, so I think, you know, that pick probably was the carrot that got it done. And I think Chris Paul, you know, wanted to go there. Um, but I, I, I like the trade and I think, you know, we could see Kelly Oubre get flipped again. Uh, you could see Rubio potentially get flipped again. Um, you know, I don't think the Thunder are really committed to anyone. They're just viewing this as, you know, how do we get the most stuff? Uh, and, you know, so I, as for the pick at 10, uh, you know, like you, I think, you know, my line of thinking was that Phoenix probably grabs whichever point guard fell uh, or is there at number 10. Uh, you know, I had Kyra Lewis there uh, coming into this morning. So I don't know if this changes how they would view that. Uh, and, and knowing that there will be at least one or two of the available wings at number 10, I, I think now it's a spot that you have to rethink a little. I had them actually taking Killian Hayes at 10 in my mock as well uh, with the same thing. And maybe Killian Hayes certainly is maybe a little bit more versatile than Lewis is and so can play both backcourt positions. And maybe there's some intrigue there um, as well for them. But obviously losing Kelly Oubre as well uh, may... Uh, ramp up the need for a wing. Is there a wing that you really like for them uh, at 10? Yeah, I think I go back and forth between Okoro, Isaac Okoro, and Devin Vassell. I think Okoro is the better player. Uh, for Phoenix, it's probably kind of important to have shooting, but again, no, noting that Bridges and uh, Cam Johnson are both still on the team, uh, they don't necessarily have to take a shooter there. Although, you know, I had heard that shooting was uh, important for them at that spot. But I do think if Okoro, should he fall to 10, it's not a guarantee that he does, but he could be there. Uh, and if he's there, I think he's a good uh, option for them. Like, uh, you know, if you think about, you know, the, the physical aspect of his game, he's more physical, 
little bit stronger and built a lot differently from Bridges and Cam Johnson, who are sort of wiry guys who are more team defenders who can space the floor, but they're not really like downhill secondary creators. So Coro is different from those guys, right? And I think there's enough differentiation to think, hey, maybe this is a guy that can help us and give us something different. Or Oklahoma City, this isn't the only deal that they've done. They also traded Dennis Schroeder to the Los Angeles Lakers and got back Danny Green in the 28th pick. Uh, That happened on Sunday uh, as well. So Oklahoma City making a bunch of deals right now. They have a second first-round pick. They have the 25th pick in the draft, and now they own the 28th pick uh, from the Lakers as well. Uh, what did you think about the Schroeder deal for the Lakers? And then let's talk a little bit about what OKC may be doing now in the draft with a couple of late first round picks. So I think for the Lakers, it makes sense. I think knowing they were probably going to get priced out of Rondo, knowing that they might want to use, you know, whatever mid-level money they have, uh, you know, for other uh, areas, I think Schroeder, you know, being available, keeping him away from another contender uh, and, and not having to give up all that much for him. Uh, I, I think it makes sense. I, I always was suspicious that LA might trade that pick, uh, you know, knowing that, you know, moving forward, it's going to be hard, harder for them to move those picks because they have committed so many of those to new Orleans via the Anthony Davis trade. Uh, you know, they can, they can get this one done. Uh, and, and I think Schroeder obviously fits, uh, you know, he'll fit with LeBron. Uh, it's not going to be perfect, but I think he definitely rehabilitated his own value in a huge way this season with OKC, just proving that he was committed to, you know, fitting in and playing hard and you know, no one doubts that guy is competitive. So uh, I like it for LA, uh, you know, with OKC again, I kind of mentioned this when we were talking about them before, and I don't know what your read is on this, but I, I would suspect that they take, you know, now they have 28. Uh, I would suspect that they look to move that pick again to do something else. Maybe get up in the draft. They have 25, they have 28, they have all these future picks, uh, now they have Danny Green and they have Kelly Oubre, who are two players who I think, you know, are as you know, starting caliber wings are going to have trade value. Uh, so I would expect OKC to do something else, and everyone kind of suspects the player they are chasing is Alexei Pokshevsky. Uh, so we'll see if that materializes, but that's kind of my thinking is that that may be what happens. That's for sure what I've been thinking as well. Like we've been hearing Pokshevsky to the Thunder for a really long time. I don't think he's there at twenty five. I think they understand that. So whether it's a combination of 25 and 28 or moving Ubre uh, and 25, you know, for example, to to get up or Danny Green or whatever that is, that seems like a target for him. Is he worthy of of the hype that he's been getting um, in this draft? I mean, he's such an interesting prospect because the talent is is off the charts, but his body is just flat out, you know, terrible. And I'm not even sure with an NBA strength training program what you're actually going to be able to do with that body. What do you think about him as a prospect? He, he scares me, but I do understand the excitement. Uh, I just think you have to, before you rank him as a top 10 or a lottery pick, you know, I've seen, I don't think in NBA circles, a lot of teams, you know, would treat him like that, but I've seen that opinion out there and I get it. But again, before you do that, you have to dig into the other stuff. Uh, and, you know, between the body uh, yeah, I, I think there's real concern. It's not so much him putting on weight, but it's just how will it hold up? I think that is the bigger concern because, again, anyone can really put on weight now. It's less of an issue than it was you know, 10, 15 years ago. But, yeah, the bigger issue is durability. And that's, I think, sometimes what people miss when we're talking about the medical piece uh, in terms of what goes into evaluations. So, for me, he's more of a, you know, a, a flyer who I would take you know, in the 20s, I think, so at some point that he has an interesting case. Uh, but you got to be secure. He's going to stay healthy. Uh, and the fact that he wants to come over now, 
for me would be, you know, it would have to depend on who I was, you know, OKC in particular is a team that has can afford guys time. So I think that's part of why they're such a good match too. So clearly they, they think that there's something there, uh, how high they have to get is, is the next question. I, I would keep an eye on like 17, 18, 19, because those picks I think could all move. Okay. Let's go on and let's talk about the the hottest trade rumor on Monday. And we are risking <laughs> dating ourselves here because something might happen between now and when this podcast is published. But James Arden, he's committed to the Rockets. He wants to play somewhere else. Tons of smoke around the Brooklyn Nets right now being a potential destination for James Harden right now. One, do you think Harden gets moved? Uh in the next week or so? And two, do you think it's going to affect the draft? So I think it depends primarily on how much pressure he's going to put on Houston, because I think it's clear that they don't want to do it yet. And they would rather try to find a solution, which, yeah, I mean, you don't want to trade James Harden that you can help it. Um, and it does seem like a lot of this seems to be so sort of player behind the scenes driven. I, I don't think it's progressed to like serious talks yet. I'm sure Brooklyn is thinking, Hey, well, if we're going to make an offer, you know, what would that offer be? And just logically, you have to think that Brooklyn and probably Philadelphia too, those teams probably at least call Houston and they make some type of offer for the draft just to like gauge it, right? But I don't know. I don't want to say with any certainty that it's going to happen before the draft. I will say, I'm not going to, not like I'm reporting this, but I did hear, you know, a couple of weeks ago that there was, you know, some level of unrest there and that Brooklyn would be a team that would probably have interest in adding him for what that's worth. So like, you know, I, I had an inkling when I heard it, I'm like, that's not crazy. Right. So we'll see how that evolves. As far as the draft, it's, it's tough to say because we're talking about teams that don't have, at least in this draft, don't have much capital. Uh, I think if that trade happens, I think the odds are we're talking more about future firsts. Uh, you have to think Houston knowing how much it sort of gave up to get Westbrook and how much, you know, okay. So has a lot of their future picks. Uh, if I'm Houston, my goal is not so much, to worry about the short term, but it's how many picks can I recoup sort of to cover my own um, mistake there in terms of how much was given up. So that I think that would have to be the thinking organizationally, because, you know, if you trade Harden and you either have Westbrook or you trade Westbrook, you're not going to be very good with what they have right now. Yeah. That's the other interesting is Harden's Harden's backcourt mate, Russell Westbrook also in the news, a potential trade and a team near the top of the draft, the Charlotte Hornets, at least expressing some interest uh, though that's questionable how much interest there actually is, but some interest uh, in uh, Russell Westbrook as well. What do you think your best deal is for the Rockets for Harden? If they if they decide they're going to move on, if they decide they're going to blow this up, do you think the Nets are the right place? Do you think Philadelphia is the right right deal? And then I guess the reverse question is, what's the best fit for Harden? Right? There might be what's the best deal for Houston, but also what's the best fit for Harden to try to win an NBA championship? My thinking on this is that if if Philly decides to put Embiid or Simmons on the table, either one of them, that's probably by far the best player they can get, right? And I'm not sure, you know, obviously I think Philly would probably try to get them to take like Tobias and a bunch of other stuff, but like that would be a non-starter for me. Um, unless unless they're like, hey, you can have all our future picks and hey, it's Daryl Morey, right? So that, <laughs> you have to think he probably doesn't care about those picks that much. Uh, it's kind of funny. Yeah, but uh, I, I would think that if Ben Simmons or Embiid were, were available from Philly, I don't know if that's true, but that would probably be the start of the best offer they could get. Uh, if you look at what Brooklyn can offer, it's Karis LeVert, 
and then basically contracts with you know Torian Prince, Spencer Dinwiddie, guys who are not really building blocks. Those are just guys who you probably would try to trade again or make the deal match. So for Brooklyn, I would guess any, any type of best offer they can make is going to be heavily pick centric and not so much uh, players like, you know, it really depends what you think of Levert. But for me, that is not enough to, to trade James Harden. Yeah, it's interesting, too, that if we reverse the question and ask where, where does he have his best chance of winning a championship? As much as I love Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I'm not sure how I see James Harden fitting in into that roster right now. Such a ball dominant guard. I just don't see him in the backcourt with Kyrie. Yeah, James is going to have to be adaptable. Uh, you know, it's again, if you ask, if you ask out, you have to be willing to adapt, right? I think like you would hope that that would be the thinking. Uh, and again, it's, it's tricky when we're talking about what's the best fit, because you assume if he's going somewhere, he's probably gutting the supporting cast or removing a big star from the equation. Right. So, uh, it really, it really depends. Um, but you know, if those are the two teams that are, have come up now, uh, I mean, like, it's really hard to say, cause those are both teams with, with two stars. And as we've seen, like the heat were, you know, we probably don't give the heat actually enough credit for the way that they were able to mesh, uh, you know, with LeBron and Chris Bosh and doing it. Those three guys all really did sort of sacrifice. And it's rare that we see that, especially in when, when star teams come together like this, the warriors, I think are an exception to the rule, but they also complimented each other right. in a certain way in Miami that I'm not sure that same compliment exists uh, in, in Brooklyn, given what these players have done in the past and, and what their skill set is. Uh, and defensively as well, uh, man, Brooklyn, Brooklyn would have some major, major defensive issues in the back. Yeah, if I were, if I were Brooklyn, I, I mean, I think I would probably, if I was thinking realistically about, we probably should try to win a title in the next two or three years, I would be probably more interested in Drew Holiday because I don't think it'll, you're not going to have to give them the whole heart in billions of picks. It seems like it might be more doable. And he also compliments those guys better in a, in a way where uh, it's not going to interfere with the flow of what, what's happening. And the defensive aspect is big. And if it's Philadelphia and you had your choice between giving them Embiid or Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons? And it's, it's tough. I mean, like, I think I think you probably, if you're, if you're thinking about how Harden plays, I think you probably would rather move Simmons because of the floor spacing component. Uh, Harden and Embiid could be really good together. Um, you know, you would dominate the middle of the floor, put shooters around him. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, with, with, with Simmons, it's, it's trickier. Um, and then, but if you're, if you're Houston, you probably want to be, because, uh, you know, the Westbrook Simmons thing obviously is not a fit. So it's just hard to say. It, it seems like it's got to be Philly's play. If they're making this play though, that it's Embiid and Harden that they're trying I to pair so together. Not, 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 uh, not Simmons and, and Harden. And, you know, I, I actually think that if Houston's thinking about a deal, I, I think landing Ben Simmons uh, even though I know he's not a fit with Russell Westbrook, but that's that's about as good a haul as you're going to get on a young prospect that uh, that that I still feel like has. A- yeah, look, I think I think you got to do it anyway. No, um, knowing Westbrook's not happy, you probably just got to take that hit. Like, hey, you know, maybe you find a way to trade, or maybe you don't. But if you're getting Simmons at that age, uh, with years on his deal, uh, and also you know now probably a guy who would be willing and more open to like a fresh start where it's like, Hey, you know, I've never had a team built around me before. You know, he's a clutch guy. You know, those guys are going to want to be the stars in those situations. Uh, you know, I think that's not a terrible, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if, if that was on the table, if I'm Houston, that's tempting. The idea of Charlotte trading the number three pick for Russell Westbrook has been met with almost a universal panning, uh, people begging 
the Hornets not to do this. Is there a point where Russell Westbrook, I, I know his contract is terrible, but is there a point where we have underrated uh, Russell Westbrook here? I mean, is he such a bad prospect now that this is a disaster for Charlotte uh, to trade out, especially in a draft where we're not sure the number three pick is going to necessarily, you know, it's not like they're trading it for Zion Williamson or for Anthony Davis or for something like that. Yeah, my, my guess would be if that deal does happen, I don't think I don't think if you're Charlotte, you, you necessarily need to move number three. Um, and and I think that's because of the way Westbrook's value and also the market seems to be shaping up. I don't I don't think he's like a pure negative value contract because I do think uh, if you if he gets fully healthy, he gets rested, and you sort of build a team around him again, he's gonna for sure look better than he did. Uh, in Houston, you know, that, that fit was never perfect. He, tr- he tried to make it work. Uh, his efficiency took a dive, but I do think he probably has uh, one or two good years left. Like we're, we're probably the public conversation is probably a little bit too like, why would you do that? You know, like if you're Charlotte, I actually think I can understand the case if you don't, ha- especially if you don't have to give up three, uh, you know, say you're doing Batum, like you're not getting any value getting off of his deal probably anyway. Uh, so if you're getting Batum or giving up Batum and like attaching some other smaller things. I don't think it's terrible. Like say it's like Batum and Terry Rozier. Um, I think that's, you can deal with it. I mean, Charlotte's probably not signing a big free agent in the next couple of years. They're going to have cap space anyway. They have to think about what they're going to do with it. Uh, they're not an attractive free agent destination as of this time, really. Um, they need to put stuff in place, but you know, Westbrook could also make their young guys better uh, in terms of PJ Washington, Miles Bridges, you know, having a real sort of offensive centerpiece. So I see the rationale, but I agree with you that, three would be a non-starter for me in that type of trade. I would, I would prefer to keep number three. You think Golden State ends up just taking their pick at two? So I do think they're going to do something because I think there's definitely a big impetus to win now. And you can also think of it from the standpoint of, is this right now with having number two in hand and some degree of interest, particularly in James Wiseman? I think that's the player who people are interested in at number two. Um, you know, knowing that, is this the best chance to trade Wiggins? Like, you know, there's, I've heard the case. Well, you know, Hey, maybe Wiggins will look really good with our guys. Maybe we, we, we have his value and we trade him at the deadline. But, you know, right now, like, you know, we always hear the argument, you know, picks depreciate once you make the pick. And, uh, you know, right now when people don't know exactly how good Wiseman is or, you know, how, how good they think he is might be more than what he is. Uh, or what he looks like as a rookie, right? So I think if there's a logical way, like my asking price would not be crazy high. Like I think if there's a way to get off of the Wiggins deal now, uh, which is long-term money that is going to prohibit them from, you know, making a bid at another star next next summer, probably they have to do it before then. Uh, I think you have to think about it. And so being able to attach to, you know, I, I think Golden State, of course, has Minnesota's pick. Uh, lightly protected for next year's draft. That's something I would want to keep because that is something that you're going to want to use if you make a subsequent deal. But if you can do something with just two and Wiggins and you move back in the lottery, uh, I, I think that is sensible for Golden State. And I think, you know, if you read into who they've worked out, you know, I think they're going to be comfortable picking in the mid to late lottery if they, if they go back. Uh, so the two teams that I, not necessarily I've heard this, but I think makes sense, you know, Detroit with Blake Griffin, San Antonio with Lamarcus Aldridge, those are two logical targets. I don't know how they value those guys, but those guys fit what Golden State, I think, would want uh, and being able to come back to be at number seven or 11. Yeah, interesting. Okay, let's take a break. Before we take that break, let's talk about what's going to happen on Wednesday night. That's right. The Locked On Podcast Network will have live draft coverage this year on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, at Locked On Live. Be the only place that you're going to be able to find me. 
uh, working with David Locke as the host on draft night. We're going to go through all of the draft. Uh, we're going to be running through that whole thing. Brad Rowland, Locked On Hawks, uh, is going to be there as well. It's going to be fun, as well as all the Locked On hosts are going to give some instant reaction uh, when their team drafts. And so follow Locked On Live on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch. Get alerts as soon as we go live. It's going to be a lot of fun. Really looking forward uh, to doing this with David Locke, Brad, and everybody else. It's going to be a great time. I'm a runner. And every day, as I get to about mile eight or nine, my body starts to slow down. My muscles start tightening up. I need to break through a wall. And that's why I'm so excited about Built Bar's new product, Built Go, a solution to breaking through your wall. So what is your wall and what is Built Go? Built Go is a healthy replacement for your energy drink, but the energy is not fake. It's lasting. It's natural. It's easy to take in 1.5 ounce packages. You put it in your briefcase or your golf bag or your pocket to get throughout the day. It's the best workout gel on the market. And here's the thing, it is delicious. Much like the Built Bar, it tastes great. It has three delicious flavors, peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, chocolate milk. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine, better results, it's filled with protein. It's amazing stuff. So why don't you try it out? Visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. And we are back. I'm with Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated. We're talking 2020 NBA draft rumors. We've went through some of the big names, James Harden, Drew Holiday, Dennis Schroeder, Russell Westbrook, uh, Chris Paul. Now I want to get up at the top of the draft and start thinking about what some of these teams are, what we're hearing. Uh, Jeremy, you just put in a new mock draft uh, at Sports Illustrated. Mine will come out on Wednesday, uh, my final mock draft of the year. And let's just start with the big question. What are Minnesota going to do at one? Are they going to keep the pick? Are they going to trade the pick? And if they keep it, who are they going to take number one? I've, myself and a lot of mocks have pointed to LaMelo Ball. I noticed your mock had a different person at number one. And there does seem to be a growing buzz within the league around this guy being the number one pick. Who do you think Minnesota selects number one on draft night if they keep the pick? My understanding of the situation right now is that I don't think they have officially decided on what they're going to do. But I will say, so I, I have been reporting uh, and, you know, basically everything I have reported has sort of pointed to Edwards being the guy. And that dates back, you know, for, to a, you know, before the lottery. You know, I, I've thought for most of the year, he'd be the number one pick. And I thought he made the most sense uh, for Minnesota, but you know, what I've gotten back, uh, you know, in conversation, texting you know, different people around the NBA, uh, has primarily been Edwards. Like I never really heard, uh, and this again, this is you know my feedback loop probably as well. But I never really heard any buzz about Ball going one. So for me, I've always thought it would be Edwards. Uh, so it wasn't like I magically heard something 
different this weekend. That's just kind of how the beat I've been on for some time. Uh, so if I had to guess, uh, that's probably who they end up taking. And I think if you, if you can read into, you know, they've done a really good job signaling different things or what they're going to do. Uh, but the one name that never seems to have come out for that pick is Edwards. Right. And I think that's a little suspicious. Uh, and so, you know, that he does seem to be the best fit for their core. I think if they really wanted ball, I think they could call Charlotte uh, and, you know, go back to three and still get him without really having to give up that much. Like, I think that could, I think if they wanted ball, there could have been mutual interest in doing something like that in a very simple fashion. And again, I think this could change. Like, I do think maybe someone calls in last second with an offer trying to see if Minnesota will take it because I do think the offers to this time have not been great. Um, I think if there is like a really, heavy market we'd know. But again, there's another day. People might be like, let's call their bluff and just see what they'll take in a day for the draft. So I do think it's fluid, but I think if they keep the pick, I would watch Edwards. I think it's really interesting with Edwards. He, I think you're right from a fit standpoint. LaMelo Ball doesn't make a lot of sense given their current roster. Same with James Wiseman. Edwards certainly does make more sense. I think the thinking why I've had Ball is not a fit question, but it's around trade value down the road. Uh, you know, the only time to make a trade isn't before the draft. And that as you get deeper into free agency, as teams start to strike out on maybe their top free agent targets or whatever, maybe there's, you know, a better deal that's waiting for them. And and Ball's trade value may or may not, depending on what you think about this, be higher. It's been really interesting. Both Hollinger and I, John Hollinger and I have noted this in the past that I haven't encountered a team that doesn't have Edwards in their top three. And I can't say that same about LaMelo Ball. In fact, I just did a tier column with Tony Jones. And when I was talking to some teams, some teams had him in tier three and a, a team had him in tier four, uh, LaMelo Ball. So there's there's a much wider range on him. Uh, so that's that certainly you know, could could be the case. But we also couldn't find any team that was super excited about like taking him taking him. I, I think the teams are a little bit scared of him. And I, I could say the same thing about Ball and Wiseman, but there seems to be this extra level of of fear because of the question about the basketball IQ, right? We we know the athletic talent is there for sure to be a dominant NBA guard. But will he pick up the game? And teams worry that people are going to be able to see the athleticism, but they're not going to be able to get convince a coach to get him actually minutes in a game. Yeah, I think that's valid. Like he may be Again, it's, it's, it's always tough just from a pure optics standpoint because if you're taking a kid in the top five or even the top ten, there's usually some assumption that that player is going to walk into minutes. Like That's just kind of like how things go. Uh, if you're a bad team, you don't really have any reason not to do it. right? But Minnesota is different uh, because they're, you know, they weren't good last year, but it's not like they have nothing on the roster. They have Carl Towns, uh, their team that is hoping to be competitive. And so no matter who they take, you know, that's going to be a tricky balance. Um, I think the counterpoint I would make in Edwards favor in the case of Minnesota is that if you take ball number one, uh, you know, then you're starting him and playing him 30 ish minutes a game. Like that might not help your team either. Uh, is it, is it, you know, just knowing that he, you know, I think there's a perception from some teams and, you know, this alludes to what you're saying about, you know, some teams are a lot lower on him is that some of the numbers he put up are empty calories. Uh, you know, the highlights are obviously cool. Uh, but when you really dig into it and you watch the games and you see them losing a lot every time, uh, you know, people do wonder if there's some emptiness to the stat lines. And so, you know, you could argue that you, is it better to, you know, have ball putting up stats and, you know, maybe hopefully looking better for trades or would you rather, you know, have Edwards play 25 minutes as a six man 
uh, and try to bring him along with kid gloves. I, I agree that there's a big learning curve for him, but I do think, I don't think he got enough credit for how much better he got at Georgia versus what he was doing in high school. Like they had him, you know, screening and back cutting. And I think they were overall happy with his progress. You know, we can't make magic out of these guys, right? I mean, they can only develop what they have. And so the physical component is hundred percent there. Uh, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say I feel like hundred percent secure average is an all-star, but I don't really feel that way about any of these guys. That's just kind of what it is this year. Uh, and that's, you know, the unfortunate situation that teams are dealing with. And that's why the trade market for number one is, is tough because no one really wants that problem. Yeah. And, and you really, it just reminds me so much of Cleveland and the 2013 draft. And, you know, you're, you're glad you get the number one pick, but then you look at these guys out there and who's, re- who's going to help you. They were in a very different situation at the time because they were, they were in a total rebuild um, at the moment. They reached for Anthony Bennett. It blew up in their face. People lost jobs. Uh, you know, for for a new GM, this this could certainly be uh, a little bit scary for sure. We've talked about Golden State from a trade perspective, and we talked about them potentially making a deal for Drew Holiday. We talked about them making a deal for Blake Griffin in Detroit. We talked um, about them maybe making a deal with San Antonio for LaMarcus Aldridge. It seems that if they keep the pick, there is just a consensus around the league, like a very, very strong consensus. This is James Wiseman. Um, at two. Uh, this won't be Edwards. This won't be Ball. This won't be anybody else that Wiseman will be the pick if Golden State keeps this pick. You think that's true? I buy that for sure. Um, he just makes the most sense for them and always has. Like, I know I agree and I hear all the stuff about, you know, should we really in 2020 want to draft a seven footer with like without a clear pathway to like being a dominant big? You know, he's more of like, a, we're going to hope he learns how to dominate game flow and then add, add a three-point shot. But it's not like he's the guy you're playing through. Uh, you know, I don't think he's the type of passer to really be like a, you know, he's not going to be a Jokic or an Embiid. Like, I just think that's out of the question. But in this particular case, when you are Golden State and you are a team that has a hole at that position and you have all-star caliber players at three other spots, uh, they're aging, but they're still, it's still a good, very good team. Um, you know, that's the type of player who could really succeed in that situation. Uh, and could be bet maybe be better than what you think he's going to be. Um, you know, the hope is that you know what they have in place in terms of expectations and you know winning and and just talent uh, will bring that out of him. So I think, and you know, you made the point about trade value, and I've, I've made this point before, but I think Wiseman's trade value could also be higher on Golden State in in a few months because he's going to look really good. Like again, he this is, we're not we're not talking about a guy who is the best player in college basketball. We're talking about a guy who played three college games. Uh, but has a real pedigree coming out of high school, has all the physical tools. Uh, but again, I think he might, in, in Golden State, hypothetically, he may be more valuable three months from now than he is now because you might be able to see what he can do with playmakers around him. And he's never had that before. So And and bless the Warriors. They've floated like 18 names at the number two pick. I mean, they've 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 been incredible. And, and I will say this about something that I admire about Bob Myers and this and this Warriors staff. You know, there there is a herd mentality in the NBA. There is this sort of consensus that starts to develop. These are the consensus guys that you should be thinking about there, whatever. And I really appreciate that they really haven't taken that approach. I think they really took this approach. I don't I don't care what Chad Ford or what ESPN or what Sports Illustrated has these guys ranked. We're gonna look at this. We're gonna look at every prospect, and we're gonna see who's the the right guy for us. Um, at two. And and I think this is partly what makes the Warriors a really great team and unique, uh, because I think that's not how every team would approach this, but I think they have approached it. So I don't think it's just been floating and smoke. I really think that they've considered 
Tyrese Halliburton. And I think they've considered what Obi Toppin would do and what Denny Avdia would do. I, I think they've really thought through this carefully, but it's certainly all signs. I also see point to this being Wiseman if they keep the pick, which then leaves Charlotte at three. They, again, if, if, if they keep their pick, we've heard Wiseman is their guy. And he makes a lot of sense again as a fit. So maybe as we talked about, if Minnesota doesn't really, isn't that high on Edwards, maybe they could swap picks with Charlotte. Charlotte gets up ahead of Golden State and takes Wiseman. But assuming that the draft goes the way that we just talked about, and there's Anthony Edwards is going one, and James Wiseman goes two, then they're left with either LaMelo Ball, um, who's kind of an interesting fit in Charlotte, um, or they go for the next best big guy, which I think many of us have heard that they really like a Kongwu out of U- USC and, and could put him there. What do you think they'll do at three? And if it's a Kongwu, given this sort of theory about draft tiers and that you don't jump down tiers to draft needs, uh, is Charlotte making a mistake or do you have a Kongwu and, and LaMelo in the same draft tier? So my... This is probably the trickiest part, I think, to read right now with two days uh, before the draft uh, is is exactly what Charlotte will do, because I do think Ball is a real consideration there. Uh, Now, I I was not sure uh, what that dynamic was going to be like uh, with him at that pick. Uh, I know that it has never been a no-brainer for them, but I do think there is some traction for him there. Um, A Kongwu has always been kind of a thing that has been theorized by other teams, uh, as a fit for them, uh, it does make a ton of sense. Uh, and I do think speaking to your tiers argument that there is a, a case for having them in the same tier. If you're a team who does not view ball as an all-star type guy is more of like a solid starter. And you think a Kong Wu has a chance to be a fringe all-star type guy. Uh, then, yeah, I think that can be rationalized as well. Like, I don't think it's so crazy that it wouldn't happen. Um, but that's definitely a thing everyone is trying to determine right now uh, is whether or not Charlotte will do it. Um, and you know, if they do take him, I think there's a pretty interesting, again, the, the current on-court fit is not great. They do have guards, but, uh, when you take ball, you know, you're going to get on national TV, uh, it's going to inject some energy into your fan base. Uh, and you know, they have some young talent that I think does need a playmaker like that. Uh, so if I were them, I would probably think really hard and I, I probably would do it there. Uh, but I'm not hundred percent sure that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me because when, when we talk about fit, there's this trap in the draft that you see all the time. We have guards. Okay, but are they great guards? Is Terry Rozier worth passing a LaMelo ball on? Terry Rozier in this draft, if he were to be in this draft right now, would he be a top three pick? Same with Devontae Graham. And I'm a Kansas guy. I love Devontae Graham. He had a really excellent year uh, for Charlotte last year. But are you really going to say, look, we're going to roll with that guy and pass on someone who has the floor vision and ball handling skills of, of LaMelo ball, uh, because we, we have a, and a very adequate, that's what I would call Charlotte's backcourt right now. We have a very adequate, you know, backcourt as opposed to, yeah, we have this other need out there, but there's other ways to fill needs. And at least I would say this, a Kongwu ceiling doesn't seem to be nearly as high as LaMelo ball's ceiling. And, and maybe LaMelo's floor is a little scarier than a Kongwu. Maybe that's the way that you know, the way that we put it. But at some point, if Charlotte's ever going to break out of this cycle of where they've been for so long, they're going to have to land a star one way or the other. And I think drafting a Kongwu 
isn't going to get them any closer to that. It's just going to plug a hole with a with a player who could be pretty good. I like a Kongwu. I have him pretty high on my my charts, but I don't see him with the upside of Lamelo. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure in terms of upside. And I also would I would point to like the backhanded argument here that you're not going to like say publicly. But look, if you if you take Lamelo and he's your starting guard and he plays 32 ish minutes a game. You're not going to be very good, and that's okay because you know maybe you take him, you let him develop, you like kind of accidentally tank, but not that accidentally, and then next year you're in play for a second star, right? Like maybe this is the move that you make. You take a little step back, but you let him improve, see what you have, uh, and it puts you probably in play next year's year where a lot of teams are trying to make the playoffs, right? And that's the counter argument when we're talking about Westbrook for Charlotte. You know, Westbrook puts you closer to the middle. Ball probably takes you a little bit back, but you could leap forward, and that's probably what. Like, I don't see a situation where it's Westbrook and Ball unless they just like want to get on TNT every week. So, <laughs> all right, Jeremy, we're going to come back. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a few other teams and just some other interesting players with teams that we're hearing. We're with Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we're back talking 2020 NBA draft rumors, whether those are trade rumors, talking about where we're hearing particular players going. We've talked about all the big names already. We've talked about Harden. We've talked about Chris Paul. We've talked about Dennis Schroeder. Uh, we've talked about Russell Westbrook. We talked about Minnesota. We talked about Golden State. We talked about Charlotte. The Bulls are sitting there at four. Um, and it's been really interesting. Denny Avdia's name's been flo- uh, floated about. I've, I've heard from multiple sources that that is just sheer speculation because of their general manager, uh, who's an international guy, and what he did in Denver has nothing to actually do connected with this pick. LaBella Ball could be there for Chicago, which would be very interesting in the backcourt that they currently have uh, there. Uh, And I've heard a lot of Tyrese Halliburton. I'm here as well as a culture guy, and and one of the big things that Chicago is focusing on is culture right now. Who do you see Chicago taking at four? Do they have a guy? I applaud the Bulls because they have really done a good job of not telegraphing what they're doing. You know, they've been connected to a lot of these guys. Um, they've done an above average job relative to some years when teams are leaky um, uh, of keeping this close to the vest. Um, and so it's who they end up with. I think if Ball is there, he makes a ton of sense. Um, like that's a nice fit with you know, the young guys that they have and the need for a passer and the fact that there are other scorers on the roster where he's not going to have to like be the only guy who's creating anything. I think that's a pretty nice fit. So uh, we'll see. I mean, if he's there and we kind of just dug into LaMelo earlier, so I'm not going to you know, harp on that fit. Um, but if let's say he's not there uh, and I think Avdia is a real option. Uh, I agree that some of it is the speculation, but he does kind of fit their roster as well. Um, and I've heard, Again, Obi Toppin is a guy who's come up for them. Uh, Anthony Grant, uh, th- his coach at Dayton, uh, was on Billy Donovan's staff previously with Thunder. So, you know, they're, they're obviously going to be well informed about Toppin. You know, there's some thought that Billy Donovan could have some input in what they do here, uh, but it's hard to know exactly what his type of player is because in, in uh, Oklahoma City you had Presti. Sam Presti was really the guy making decisions with personnel. So, um, Halliburton has come up. Uh, another dark horse, I think, for that spot. 
and I'm still not entirely sure what to make of this, but it's Patrick Williams, uh, who, you know, I know there's at least some degree of real interest there. Um, would they take him at four? Like it wouldn't be like totally crazy at this point. It would be high for him, but Hey, I mean, maybe that's their secret. They have up their sleeve. Uh, it's, it's really tough for me to predict too, but right, right now my guess would be that if there, there is no ball, I still lean Avdia, uh, but I don't think it's like a foregone conclusion. And I think people are trying to figure out Chicago right now. Let's talk about Patrick Williams, because it seems to be a foregone conclusion that everybody thinks Detroit's taking him at seven. And so now the question is, Will he even be there at seven? Which, you know, a few weeks ago probably would have been been seen as madness. But I've heard talk that Atlanta is interested uh, in him. I've heard talk that Cleveland is now interested in him. Though most of the talk in Cleveland centers around Obi Toppin uh, and, and Denny Avdia um, there. And now you're mentioning Chicago at four with Patrick Williams. Heck, why don't the Warriors take him at two? Is, is you know, Patrick Williams is this is the next upside guy, right? Like after you talk about Ball and Edwards and Wiseman, I think many scouts see him as the next guy. He only averaged nine points a game at Florida State, but that he has this big, big ceiling, uh, right? That he could that he could fit into as a team. Just as a prospect, is it possible he's getting overhyped um, at this point? Do you really see him as the player that has the next highest ceiling in this draft after ball Edwards and Wiseman. I have to admit, like I'm not all the way there with him. Um, you know, I have had him graded as a lottery guy for a long time, uh, you know, towards the end of the college season. I was like, yeah, that guy's going to go 10 to 12. And that's kind of where I had him now. Yeah. I didn't expect this type of leap. I guess we might've predicted it because NBA teams tend to be a little bit predictable this time of year. You know, the, the upside guy, you know, there's always the, the hot guy and it's him without question right now. Um, but yeah, I think he's very much an idea and it's worth reemphasizing that, you know, his, his body uh, obviously is really promising in terms of how it will hold up defensively. He's going to be versatile on that end. Um, you know, he will have to get a little bit more agile laterally, uh, but his, his, the fact he's so young, I think is really helpful. Obviously a big factor, you know, being the, uh, the youngest college player in this draft. So, you know, between that and then you see flashes where he'll hit a pull-up jumper. Uh, you know, he shoots it pretty well from the line. I think there's a pretty good chance he's an above-average three-point shooter. And now you're talking about, well, hey, maybe this is a floor-spacing combo forward who can attack a closeout. Uh, he'll block shots. Uh, he will, you know, play good team defense and be switchable. I mean, that's a pretty – in this draft especially, when we're like, how do we find, like, even just like a high-level role player? Uh, I mean, that case is pretty – if you let's let's say we take that case versus Denny Avdia, I mean that's a pretty comparable high end, right? Or if not better. So I see it. Uh, would I do it at four? I don't know, uh, but uh, I, I can understand why this is happening. Uh, and I think there are teams that you know might want to come up and get him, and that's probably what's pushing him up the board as well. Uh, you know, once once everybody found out Detroit was the floor, it changes the conversation. It really does. And there is this weird psychological dynamic in the draft, and I love it every year. You know, Jeremy, because this this thing takes hold. Oh, you like him at seven? Well, now maybe we like him at, at six. Like there is this conversation that starts to happen with these with these boards. And so, you know, there's so much data and there's so much scouting that's put into this. But the psychology of the draft is the most fascinating, fascinating one. And I want to end our podcast on maybe the most fascinating name in this draft at J Scrub. John Hollinger, several days ago with The Athletic, mentions in his mock draft 
that he's heard that Portland is seriously considering him at 16. Most boards don't have him in their top 60, and then it's 16. And then you start to hear some other sort of rumblings start to come out, one of them out of Boston, that Boston's had him in a couple of times and looked at him as well. Uh, For those of you that don't even know him, he was the Juco player uh, of the year. He's a legit 6'6", good athlete, uh, scorer, You've scouted him a little bit, Jeremy. First of all, should he even be in this conversation as a first-round pick? And what are you hearing about where he may go on draft night? Because if he goes anywhere in the first round, let alone like 16, there's going to be a lot of fans that are going to be scratching their heads saying who. So I watched a handful of his games um, on Synergy. Uh, and I, and so, you know, to me, he looked like a Juco player, which is you know a guy who's not ready the tools are obviously there, but he also is going to have the benefit of being bigger and faster than everybody else. Uh, when you're a physical specimen playing at that level, it's like, it's pretty, I don't want to say easy, but it is easier, uh, you know, to dominate. And I think it's something that, you know, as a scout, you really have to dig into. Uh, so I will say that it would surprise me if he was really in play for Portland at 16 or with Boston in the late first round. Uh, I think oftentimes what happens this year, and to be clear, I'm not throwing shade at anyone, but a lot of the times what happens this year, or a lot of the time what happens during this time of year, sorry, is, uh, is that, you know, sometimes an agent will, you know, have interest from a team. Uh, I don't, sometimes you assume that team is going to take you with their highest possible pick. Like, Oh, we worked out for 21, but in reality you're working out for 41. Right. And, you know, sometimes this is just, you know, the information is hard to, you know, reconcile. And sometimes there are players who have, and again, I'm not talking about scrub. I'm just saying I've, I've heard this story before where players, you know, think they're going higher than they are. And, you know, that may, that may be the case. So like, let's say, I, I would guess it's more likely, I don't doubt that Portland has real interest, but my guess would be that it's more for 46 uh, than for 16. And, you know, or maybe he doesn't go drafted and they give him a two way or they give him a full guarantee in a roster spot. Like maybe that's the type of interest that they have, but teams are also aware of, you know, the value proposition here uh, And Portland, you know, for example, would have to know that they probably don't have to take him at 16. So it's hard for me to buy it. And Hey, if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm okay being wrong here. Like, if that happens, wow, I would be surprised legitimately. But that's my read in the situation, uh, and we'll see what happens on, on draft night. If it, if it was anybody other than Neil O'Shea or Danny Ainge, I would probably be taking it with a little bit bigger grain of salt. But both of those actually are the general managers that I could actually see doing something like this. And by the way, Boston, we're not talking about it at 14, but at like 26 or 30, where they've got a couple of uh, later first-round picks. Really interesting to see him on draft night. Uh, Last question, I looked at your mock. The guy that I saw in your mock that I saw considerably higher than just about everybody else was Isaiah Stewart um, out of Washington. I think you had him going 20 to Miami, uh, if that's correct. And he does seem to be getting, again, some buzz as we get closer to the draft. He measured with a ridiculous 7-4 and like three-quarter wingspan uh, at the the combine. And and there's some, some teams that feel like he may be the best big man in this draft uh, period, a bit undersized for his position, uh, though that length helps make, make up for some of it where you've got him at 20. I know you like him a lot. Where do you think he should be on draft night? I think, I think that range is appropriate. Um, and you know, I put into Miami just because that fit is really strong. If you just think about everything we've heard about quote unquote heat culture, sorry, I just said it on the podcast. I hate bringing it up, but like, if you just think about how they think, you know, we know what Miami values, uh, I think everybody knows what Isaiah is about at this point. You know, he's such a competitive guy and you know, he really cares about winning. He understands what he is. Uh, he's not going to suddenly try to be like, Hey, you know, I want to be a point center now. That's not going to happen. Uh, and 
it's harder and harder to find guys like that in this era, uh, especially coming out of the American high school ranks who are just like willing to do it. Right. Like say he's like Aaron Baines. Hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> right. I mean, if he's a, that, that's a good outcome. Uh, and so, you know, granted, you know, he's more like six, eight, but he does have elite length. Uh, yeah. The wingspan is like a huge thing and he can move a little bit. And, and I think, I just think he'll go a little bit higher than people expect. Um, you know, I could see the late, late teens, twenties, early twenties. Um, you know, he's in that pack of bigs with Jalen Smith who may go higher. Uh, Vernon Carey is in there. Zeke Nagy is in there. Uh, but, but I think Isaiah has a lot of fans and, uh, you know, I'm one of them. I just, I really like players like that generally. Uh, and, you know, I, I think in a draft where you're fishing for role players, uh, and if you're a team that's looking to make the playoffs sooner than later, or you are a playoff team, like say you're Denver, like that's a pretty nice, like plug and play guy, you know, he's not going to be scared. Um, so yeah, that's a guy to keep an eye on. And I think, I just think because his game is not as sexy, um, you know, we're always, I think externally, uh, when we talk about bigs, we're looking for uh, who is the modern big or like, who is the next so-and-so and, you know, Bam Adebayo is a good example. Uh, everyone's looking for the next set and such, but there are always guys who are, are in this mold where they do the dirty work and they help you defensively and they help your culture uh, who stick around in the NBA. And I just think he kind of checks all the boxes, at least from, from my perspective. So I think he's a guy who will end up being happy on draft night. All right. That's Jeremy Wu from sports illustrated. We will be back tomorrow with our final mock draft, mock draft 3.0. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA big board on the lockdown podcast network. Aloha. Aloha.